Ephesians is where we're headed tonight, Ephesians chapter 4, and we're looking at the promises of God, and we've been going through just different topics of promises found in the Word of God, and I think all these have been helpful, at least to me, I know some of you as well, because I've had people come to me and, and say, hey, the Lord really spoke to me about that particular study, you know, of whatever it was, and uh, last time we were looking at uh, the promise of a way of escape, you know, escape from sin and temptation, and that God has that for us, and you, we need to just um, seek it sometimes and, and, and make it and, and do that. And out of that, I, I know that that spoke to people's hearts as well. But tonight we're going to look at this uh, topic of a way to forgive. God promises a way for us to forgive others. And that is probably one of the hardest things as a Christian, and I speak personally, uh, because I think all of us grapple with that idea of we're, we've been forgiven, but it's harder to be so forgiving to people that hurt us, right? And sometimes there's great hurts in this world that go far beyond, you know, somebody um, causing, you know, a, some kind of trespass in our life or whatever else, you know, something like that, that's that hurts but something maybe like i think of um, an illustration i had read off of um, uh, ray pritchard's blogs and it was on this topic of forgiveness and he was talking about martin luther king senior not junior but senior Um, martin luther king senior who was uh, also a minister uh, he was tremendously influential obviously in his son's life and as you know, in 1968, his son was cut down by an assassin's bullet. And in 1984, um, his, you know, Martin Luther King Jr.'s dad died. And, uh, but he had had a lot of hurts in his life. And as a minister, he often would speak on, on the topic of forgiving others. Uh, not only did he grow up in the South where it was segregated and where... Um, for instance, I mean, you had not only white only, you know, whites only, you know, privileges that were there, but you also had um, purposeful, you know, hate that was was definitely it was discrimination during those times that was going on. Um, he talked about going to vote, to register to vote, and when he went to the county clerk's um, courthouse or whatever the place for blacks to register was on the second floor and they purposely had the elevator out of order and the stairwell was for whites only and it was kind of a one of those impossible situations you know but um and i don't know how that all worked out but but those kind of things that just pile on you throughout your life in the uh, mid-1970s he was preaching a sermon this is martin luther king senior and during the church service a uh, man stood up and started shooting and actually hit his, his wife who was playing the Lord's Prayer to music on, at, on the piano and she collapsed in a hail of gunfire. And yet it was interesting because he spoke on this idea of forgiving. And this is what I found. It says, near the end of his life, he spoke about the policy of nonviolence he had come to embrace. And he said, quote, there are two men I am supposed to hate. One is a white man, the other is black, and both are serving time for having committed murder. I don't hate either one. There is no time for that, and no reason either. Nothing that a man does takes him lower than when he allows himself to fall so low as to hate anyone. And I think of that because 
here's a man that had learned to be able to at least go through life without hating someone, two people, that took people in his life, very dear people in his life, um, by gunfire, and yet to move beyond that. And there is really, it seems naturally even proper to hate killers, but the answer comes back, there's really no time for that. And I say that because we here as Christians can waste years filling our life with hate or filling our life with hurts and miss out on the blessing of being able to forgive and to walk cleansed and renewed in that aspect. And I'm saying that because it's not easy, but it is possible, and it is part of the promises of God. I want to look at it here because um, the Bible talks about this in Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm going to read down through verse 32, familiar text. We've been here several times in the last probably couple of years. But it says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Lord, we come before you thanking you again for the word of God and the simplicity of, of how you lay things out for us to follow. And Lord, I pray even now that you would work in our hearts tonight. Help us, O oh Lord, every one of us, to deal with this area of our life, to be able to forgive others. And Lord, some that probably seem very unforgivable. And yet, Lord, you're the one that has forgiven us. And we are mindful of that tonight. We thank you for such marvelous grace. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to look at this because you have here a, sort of the, a, Paul as he's teaching in the Word of God and he sets out some very practical things for the Christian to do. And he begins with, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. And that is a hard one, isn't it? And really what the word it, it really talks about here is that um, out of our mouth can, well, bring both the issues of life and the issues of death. The word corrupt there means that to, it's the same word or the root of it, meaning to cause to decay. And as you know, if you've ever come across something dead that has been dead for a little while, especially in this kind of heat, um, even a little mouse or something that dies somewhere in a you know closed area or whatever, you walk in and you smell that smell of death. And our words can be exactly the same way. The words that we speak and the words that come out of our mouth, that sometimes corrupt communication, is nothing more than the smell of death when it's in that, that vein, I guess I say. Or we can bring what is good for necessary edification, right? That it may impart grace to the hearers. So there's always two choices for believers. And I, I would say that there's lots of different areas of corrupt communication. There can be that which tries to destroy others, right? Those that would bully others with our words. Um, sometimes it's just vulgarity and obscene, indecent language. And I know as a, as a Christian, you know, we're not fully exempt from that. There are, there are words that can slip out and you go, I shouldn't have said it that way, you know. Or a word that is a crude form of something that isn't necessarily a swear word, 
but maybe not the best word we should be using in that. In that aspect of grace, and believe it or not, and I think you know most of you know this, that the tongue really often betrays us, or it betrays in a good way what is in our heart, truly what's in our heart, what we really think about people, what we, how we interact in our words shows how we value people in the same sense. And for the Christian, of course, um, we are held to a higher standard because God is that way. You know, he is forgiving. He is loving. Even when they reviled against him, he reviled not again, the Bible says. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Those who love it will eat its fruit. And I would just say, if you love death, you will eat the fruit of death. If you love life, you will eat the fruit of life. Very simple. Love how Solomon puts it there. And there's certainly the, the throat itself. The Bible talks about it in the context of sin. It, it's like an open grave. And just as Paul says here, you know, corrupt communication, corrupt words, they're like that smell of death that comes out of us. And Romans chapter 3, in the teaching on sin and the universality of sin, Paul covers the Gentiles, the Jews, and then just, you know, everybody, if you're, you're, everybody falls under that category. But he says, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, and then he strings a series of verses together. They're found in the Psalms and Ecclesiastes and and several other places as he goes down through these. But he says, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. And in our sin, that's how we appear even before God. Then he says, their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And we're reminded just from that section of Romans, the condition of sinful people when we find ourselves that way, estranged from God. That's our bent. That's our direction. And uh, I I know I'm not trying, I I don't have to convince you of that. Um, If you've come out of that background and you know what your mouth was like, I know what my mouth was like in that. And the danger is to not allow those things to come back sometimes, right? And to say what you're thinking or to, you know, first of all, not take that thought captive in the first place, but let it stir up in there and then let it come out. Be careful about that, whatever those things may be. And, of course, Jesus echoed the same teaching when he talks about it, for instance, in Matthew chapter 12, and he looks at the Pharisees and he says, brood of vipers, nest of snakes imagine that you know i mean that's what they were like how can you being evil speak good things for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks that's the principle whatever's in the well comes up in the bucket whatever's in the heart will eventually come out and 
I have known people in my life that, matter of fact, uh, my mother-in-law, I'll speak about her, um, dear lady, Linda, and my, my wife is really a lot like her mom, and that's a good thing. And my mother-in-law, I was thinking about this the other day, I don't think in the 30 years I've been married, I've ever heard her really say anything bad about anybody. She's probably one of the few people I've ever met that has, I mean, she'll have a few minor complaints here and there, but I've never really heard her dwell on, on anybody that would be a negative thing. She might have been silent on a few things, but, but, and I thought about that, and I said, you know, I'm blessed to have a mother-in-law like that. And I uh, mentioned that to my wife, Sandy, and she goes, you know, I, I can't think of any, any examples in, in her life either where she was like that growing up, when, I, when she, my wife was growing up in that household. And that says a lot, you know, um, to learn to tame the tongue. And I've watched my mother-in-law, um, right now she's struggling with the early signs of dementia and some other things, and, and she gets confused and a little bit scared and out of her element. But what's in her heart's still there, you know? She doesn't go off on a rant or those things. And, and I just pray for her, you know. It's tough right now to see her like that. Um, and we're thankful for her, you know, for sure. <clears throat> the book of Ephesians in chapter 5, the very next chapter, uh, Paul exhorts Christians there, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. So Paul contrasts what how we're supposed to be that's the giving of thanks i mean even when bad things happen we can find some measure of thankfulness for them and i have used you know illustrations before of that but even in my own life the times where god has hurt me to strip something away in my life and i turn around in the moment and i'm thinking oh this is just not what i wanted why 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 only to see later and, and sometimes i don't see it immediately but to see later how he used that in that time to shape and move us or whatever. And I, I look at that, and the, like those are part of the, I don't know, that perseverance, you know, that he pressures us in, but he, he moves us forward, eventually to be conformed into the image of Christ. Someday I'll have my last lesson here on earth with that. And oh, amen, I can't wait for that. I'll be finally graduated into his presence, and I won't have to worry about having to repeat the grade again and again and again, right? And doing that. But he says, nor filthiness, that's just that. Don't, don't talk about filthy stuff. The world's full of that, right? Foolish talking. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of things. I'm, I'm a joker, and sometimes I push things, and I realize, oh, don't go there. You know, you're not, that's not fitting for you as a Christian, you know, and so you got to be careful with that. And and I understand, you know, some people don't see things the same way you do. Those kind of things. But coarse jesting would fall in that category where we can just be coarse with people. God doesn't want Christians like that to be walking in coarseness. The world is filled with that kind of language and that kind of whatever off-colored things. And He says, "But rather giving of thanks, giving thanks." Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. But now you yourselves are to put off all these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And 
Paul goes on to say, you've put those off, but put on Christ. And I like what Warren Wiersbe says. He says, God never leaves the believer naked. You put off the old, put on Christ. There's that opportunity to put him on, and we're moving forward with him in his grace. And to do that, oh, I'm glad for that. There are definitely... um, consequences to our actions he goes on to say let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth but what is good for necessary edification that word edification means to build up i think it's translated that in other translations whatever builds up and and the opposite of that is when we tear down and that is part of what he says don't do right when we speak evil of others for example that's slander and that's not building somebody up that's tearing them down And you say, well, how does this all relate to forgiveness? Because you can fall into the pattern of the world, which is filled with corrupt communication and evil thoughts and evil speaking. And it's out there with malice of intent to go out and destroy someone else. And Paul says for the believer, it's not fitting. We need to put those off. And there is even more importantly, another reason. It will destroy our relationship with the Lord. And I don't mean destroy like eternally. I mean, there can be roots of bitterness that spring up in Christians. And and there can be uh, slander and gossip and those kind of things. Corrupt communication coming out of a mouth. doesn't mean necessarily you're not one of his anymore. It's just not fitting for you. So you're walking not as according to as a Christian but as or a Christ-like one, but rather the course of the world. But the reason really is this, that we don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. That's what the next verse says, right? And I, and I back up just one because he says that it may impart grace to the hearers. The object, and, and I like this, I, I think God wants to see other people succeed. In not saying materially succeed necessarily, that's not what I'm saying, but he wants to see us succeed spiritually. God doesn't want us just floundering around and always caught up in the sin or always caught up in um, some form of corrupt word that's coming out of our mouth or whatever. But he rather wants us on mission to impart grace. And you cannot speak grace to people when you're also speaking corrupt communication, corrupt words. The two do not mix. And you will always corrupt the message of grace in doing so beware of that and by the way there's been times I've had to go back to people over the years and say you know what what I said yesterday what I said last week I shouldn't have said for whatever reason it was you know and I have rarely regretted not opening my mouth I have regretted times I've opened my mouth you know um I say rarely, there are times where I know I should have said something and I didn't. But there are times where I've said way too much and I should have just kept it zipped. And taking that thought into captivity and say, Lord, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for whatever it is. And it's so easy to fall into that rut, whatever it be. I mean, how many of you have worked somewhere where... You get in the break room, whatever, all the complaints come out. Boom, 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 boom. And they're complaining about everybody. And you step out of the room, they're probably complaining about you too, right? You know, it's easy to become part of that. Don't, as a Christian. Sometimes just do your work. 
be thankful, you know. Um, I don't know if that's something that touches. I, that's personal experience. I've seen those times where you waste so much time in the aspect of complaining about something when you should really be part of the solution probably. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. That actually makes God sad when his children are not acting like his children. Think about that. God can be sad. Have you ever been disappointed by somebody? Yeah. All of us have had those disappointments. Um, when Early on in my Christian walk, I, I had someone in my life that I really looked up to. I, I just thought, wow, I want to be just like that person. And then one day, I was at a basketball game, and I saw them and heard what they were saying and things like that, and I thought, Wow. I don't, I don't want to be that, you know. Uh, and, and it just disappointed me. And I was sad because I really liked this person and I thought they were a good example to me in many ways and, and they probably were, but there was an aspect of their life that wasn't right. And I thought, hmm, I, I don't want that. God is grieved on a greater level because, first of all, he knows and sees us everywhere, not just once in a while or when you're present. I can only be one place at one time. But evil speech can destroy um, the Christian walk, and it grieves the Holy Spirit. And it, it, part of that, too, we are, the Bible says, baptized into one spirit. That's spirit baptism. That's not the water baptism, but that's a, that's a picture of spiritual baptism in that when you become saved, you're born again, you're also brought into the family of God, identified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. And when we grieve him, we grieve other people too, other believers, and it causes disunity. And D.L. Moody said it this way, and I would agree with him, that he never had never known God to bless a church where the Lord's people were divided. And I could say I'm thankful for our work here. I, I really generally think we, we're on the same page and, and people are moving forward and, and none of us are perfect. But I can tell you I think we've got unity here. Um, could, it, could it improve in our lives? Yeah, it, it all could, starting with your pastor. I, I say that, you know. But I say, God, don't let me be a hindrance to someone else's walk. I don't want to grieve you. I want you to be happy with the work that's here and my life as well. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. He put his mark on you. And, and I want to think about that for a second because have you ever given a reference for somebody or been asked to provide a reference and then they totally disappoint their person they were, <laughs> you were referred to? Or I've had that a couple times over the years. Students that maybe were at uh, places I taught, those kind of things. And, um, or as a pastor too, somebody says, hey, can I get a reference for you? I said, sure. And then I, a couple years later, I run into the guy that hired them or something, and I say, how'd that work out? He goes, oh, I guy, the worst guy I ever hired. I'm like, oh, no. That hasn't happened a lot, but a few times that's happened. And you know what happens? I feel this big. You know why? Because I put my reputation... My seal of approval on them. And when God saved us, he put his seal on us. In spite of knowing what we really are. 
and what we're like. By the way, God's a big God. His reputation will not, you know, ultimately be hindered. But nevertheless, how many times people use it as an excuse of not coming to Christ or becoming a Christian because they know Christians that aren't like Christ. I've told that story of the pineapple story, you know, Otto Koning. And you guys, uh, it's on YouTube. You could watch it there. But that's just a great, great story. Um, when he was in Papua New Guinea, and he talks about that pineapple garden that every t- he, he had this pineapple garden planted, and the, the native people there would steal the pineapples before they even got ripe, and it, it drove him mad, and, and it spent, he spent two full years angry, mad at them, plotting ways to get them back, and they always stole from his garden. Finally, he couldn't stand himself anymore. And he gave the pineapple garden over to God. And he, he just left it with God. And that drove his, his uh, people that he was ministering to, the, drove him crazy because, see, in their culture, you could only steal from somebody if you knew who it was. Because if you, like, stole from somebody, like, in their world of mysticism and spiritism and all that, animism, they believe, like, if you stole for somebody that might have, like, abilities to throw curses on you or something like that then you could be in big trouble and so here he is trying to minister and get the gospel through to these people and he's not acting anything like he should and when he finally gives it over to the lord he prom- he didn't tell him he says i won't tell you who i gave it to and it drove him mad they stopped stealing until they could figure out who, who it was and so he eventually you know they, they came to him and it was, it was really funny he'd been there for several years now teaching them the Bible, learning their language, and all that. And one of them finally came to him someday and said, I know what happened. You became a Christian. He's a missionary. Like he says, the guy comes to me and says, I've finally become a Christian. And then he says, what do you mean? I've been a Christian. She says, I've always heard you tell us about Christians, but now we never saw one. He says, I was feeling this big, you know, like at that time. I, 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 was, I was just... In their eyes, I just became a Christian. You know, it's amazing, our actions, right? And it's a great story. It's funny. I mean, it's funny in a serious way. It goes through with humor. Um, but I, I say all that because it's so easy to have something that we think is so important and we lose it over it, right? Uh, I better move on here. Grieving the Holy Spirit. He put his reputation, his seal, his supernatural seal on us. All of that. I'm thankful for that. On the positive side in the book of Colossians, Paul writes, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. As I said earlier, if we're letting corrupt communication come out of us, that corrupt communication starts in here. Nobody put it in there for you. You you did. And... Instead, the opposite is true. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. And I would just put it this way. You get into this book and the wisdom that's found here and the truth of the word of God and flood your soul with it. Because when you do that, it pushes out that other stuff. Or it brings it to the surface, at least, where you can deal with it. Uh, Very practical, I think. In the book of Isaiah, 
the warning here in Isaiah 7. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David. This is what the message the prophet has here. Is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? We talk about making God sad. It's possible to make God tired. And I don't mean it that God needs to rest now because we've really just... But I think in the question that's proposed there in the in book of Isaiah, he's, he's saying, with all your religiosity and, and your sin mixed in with that and all that, it, it just wearies God. It doesn't. It's not refreshing. And how much more it can weary us. Verse 31, he says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. The word bitter is just that. It's the idea of bitterness that springs up from within. Elsewhere, we're told about don't let a root of bitterness spring up. Um, Bitter, wherever your roots are planted, will draw whatever comes up, right? Don't let a root of bitterness spring up. Hard to get rid of it. If not, sometimes impossible. That's why you cut it off, you know, right there. And by the way, if your roots aren't in Christ and founded in Him, both in salvation and relationship of walk, your daily communion with Him, you'll dry up. You'll die. And I think of this, I had a, um, someone gave us a cactus it was like a birthday gift or something like that for my daughter when she was really young, Lydia. And so she had this cactus. And we had it on the windowsill. It was just this little flowering cactus. and had didn't, It never flowered. It was just there. and It was like a little green cactus. And uh, every now and again, we'd water it. And it never changed. I mean, nothing ever changed about it. And then one day, went in. And the thing had just crumbled and fallen inside itself. I guess it had been dead probably since we got it. There were no roots at all. And we, we thought it was alive. I mean, cactus don't really have much life to them, I guess. But, but it, it was actually dead and there was no roots. So whoever sold us that at the, uh, at the store or whatever, uh, I don't know if they knew that. But, but there it was. And I thought, you know, it took a long time for me to figure that out, that this thing was dead. But I, I think that's what it can be with our, our own selves. It, it'll take a long time, maybe, somebody to figure out that what's in your heart isn't right. But eventually it's going to kill you. Or it's going to sh- make you shrivel up from the inside. And that's why in, there's new life in Christ. And I'm so thankful that for the sinner, there's regeneration, right? He can take that which was spiritually dead and breathe life into it. And he can take that which was dead and dry and everything else and bring life into it. But as a Christian, don't let it go back in that way, right? The deadness of things. Let all bitterness and then wrath. That's just wrath. Is You've experienced the wrath of somebody when they're angry at you. And whoa, you know, kind of like the minefield. You're walking through and all of a sudden, boom, here it is. And wrath shouldn't be on the shouldn't be a Christian's reaction to anything. Anger is that idea behind wrath and all that. Clamor is loud arguing. Clamor. Uh, we grew up, uh, where I grew up in Quimby, the house next door to us, which eventually burned. I think it was an arson because we watched the guy set it on fire. But anyways, um, 
this guy from New Jersey, and he had his family was from New Jersey, and they would argue like I've never heard. You know, my parents were not ones to really argue in front of us. I never knew them to, anyways. And so I, it was kind of like a novel thing when you'd wake up early in the morning and you'd hear, rawr, 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 and this was the next door neighbors, and they were arguing with each other. Uh, they would do that, and and I kind of picture that clamoring. And there's just people like that. They're just wanting to yell at you and argue about whatever. It's not the mark of a Christian. Evil speaking or, or slander the same way, that's when you purposely try to injure somebody's reputation through words. And that's not building them up, that's tearing them down. And then he says, put away from you with all malice. In other words, with malice too, put that away. Malice is um, basically the forethought or, or desire to cause pain or injury or distress of someone else. Um, it's used in a legal sense when you talk about the definition of a, a murder that, like they would say, murder one, you know, when there was malice of forethought. That person thought ahead to kill somebody. In other words, it doesn't have to be just in murder, but that's where it shows up, malice. But malice is the idea of just purposely scheming to harm people. Don't let that be part of your definition of life. And then, moving on here, because uh, Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. So that's the backdrop to this. And then you come to Ephesians 4.32, that great verse that so many of us learned probably with the CEF song, right? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And that just hits me hard. Because it's like here, you're to put off these things and don't let this come out of your mouth and all of that. And, you know, avoid the malice and all those other bad qualities and he says instead be kind that's an action not just a passive action that's an actual you know requires you to do something to show your kindness to one another that's to believers tender hearted tender hearted is just that it's when our heart is bothered by something we see as far as a need or someone's hurting, and instead of piling on them, we say, wow, man, I feel that. That's empathy. And it's not possible to be fully empathetic with everybody. And, and there are sometimes times where people don't need our empathy. They just need to correct what they're doing, and I understand that. But it's easy to just get hard-hearted in a world that's filled with lots of brokenness. That's where he comes in. And in the house of God, it's no different. Forgiving one another. Forgiving one another. And you say, you say, how though? How can I forgive? Well, it's even as God in Christ forgave you. See, the overarching principle here, and it's the, it's the whole point of it, is that because of his unconditional love and his forgiveness and all of that, he's given us the ability to forgive. You couldn't do that before you knew him. I mean, there are people that have a forgiving nature about them, but truly, we could not forgive like Christ forgave us if we have never experienced that, that forgiveness. And so this is especially for the believer, that promise that is there. 
and there's a lot more verses. But in chapter 5, which flows right out of chapter 4, remember, the chapter divisions are not inspired. Those were added for clarity for navigation purposes. But really, this letter would have flowed right into the next paragraph, which says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. You know, as a child, I learned to imitate people in my life. Sometimes uh, I would go through a certain year with a teacher at a school, and there would be something that teacher would just wear off on me, usually, you know, the good ones. And, and I would say, wow, you know, I want to be like that person. And then later on, the same way, I want to be like that person. And we learn that way as children to imitate others. We learn what we can say and what we can't say. We learn how we are to act and how we're to be in social settings. All that comes as an imitation in a good way, hopefully. Sometimes we learn bad things too. But here he says, be imitators of God. He will never let us down, ever. And if you follow him and imitate him, that's where your eyes should be fixed. Uh, don't, don't look too carefully at me. I hope I'm following the Lord, and I say that. I, I do believe I am, but I, I'm always mindful that people can get their eyes on the wrong person and be greatly disappointed. And I will say this, don't put your eyes on men or women or whatever. Put it on the Lord. Put it on the Lord. And he says, as dear children, that simplicity like a child who just says, God, you're like this, I'm just going to be like that. Sometimes that is so refreshing when you run into someone that is just, that's their relationship. God says it, I'm going to do it. If God's like that, I want to be like that. And then he says, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. Just like Ephesians 4.32. He just adds to that. An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. And over and over again, that's the quality of your, really your, your whole relationship is displayed and demonstrated in the love you have for others. First uh, John 3.16 says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And I don't think that's entirely talking about laying your life down like a sacrificial death. Although that may come to that, like it, it has historically, people have actually stood in the gap for someone else, taking their place and dying in their place. But really what John is teaching in the context here, he's talking about how we ought to live for others and that we are giving our lives, laying down our lives for our brethren. In other words, we're sacrificing some measure of our life for their walk and for their relationship and their lives and that is really what being a Christian is like, you know. He's given us a way to forgive. And it's found in the power of his forgiveness as we experience it. Lord, we are grateful for the word of God. Help us to guard our hearts. And Lord, I'm amazed at the simplicity really of that practice. It comes from you to us, to others. God's grace to us and then grace to others. Help us to be a people like that. And Lord, I pray that. I, I pray that even this week, God, you'd work in my life to help me walk closer to you in the outpouring of grace for others. Lord, thank you for the opportunities you will give us. In Jesus' name, amen.